0: Hi, Helen Hong.
1: Hi, Jay Keith. How are you?
0: Very well. Great to talk with you. You know, in today's episode, we've got Walter Koenig versus Danielle Koenig. Now, we recorded this episode last year, but we wanted to hold it until now because Walter has a new book out, and it's released today.
1: It's called Beaming Up and Getting Off, Life Before and Beyond Star Trek. You can get a signed copy through jacobsbrownmediagroup.com or get an unsigned copy wherever fine books are sold.
0: I love fine books. Those are my favorite. <laughs> uh, now, we're excited to bring you this episode, everybody, not just because it features our first father versus daughter competition, but because it's our first new episode in over two months that features a live audience. Ugh,
2: oh,
1: I remember live audiences.
0: I know. They applaud and they woo. And- and sometimes they boo me when I don't know things about Star Trek. <laughs> but I still love them.
1: You know what? I I feel like all my career, I've been taking live audiences for granted. And I never will again.
0: Never. And uh, speaking of live audience, we have a very special announcement to make. Helen, tell everybody.
1: We are recording an episode that you can watch live on Tuesday, May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That's 5 5 at five, for the first time ever, we're live streaming on video a podcast recording.
0: And we've got two very special guests from the NPR hit podcast, Ask Me Another, host Ophira Eisenberg. And from the hit NPR podcast, Ask Me Another, musician and co-host Jonathan Colton.
1: This is being brought to you by NPR station KPCC and LAist. To watch the recording, go to our website, GoFactYourPod.com, or our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash To your pod and look for the link. Click through to KPCC's page and RSVP, and you'll get a reminder 30 minutes before the show starts.
0: That's right. Now, you can watch it either on KPCC's site or on Facebook or at livestream.com. You don't have to have a Facebook account or any other account to watch.
1: And please tell everybody if you like our show, everybody. I mean, literally everybody. Please spread the word. I mean, it's not like anyone is busy right now. So watch together and enjoy Tuesday, May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific. And don't worry,
0: if you do miss the live video feed, you can hear the audio from the episode in our podcast feed like normal. Hey, Helen, remember normal?
1: No, I I don't even anymore.
0: Well, this episode that you're about to listen to might remind you of that because uh, this episode was recorded during the more normal times.
1: Yeah, more normal times. We recorded this episode last year, so when you hear us say 2018 was last year, that was true at the time. We'll have another time-related update at the end of the show that we don't want to spoil for you
0: right now. And now, without any further ado, here's episode 58 of Go Fact Yourself. Helen from the past, take it away.
1: annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, (laughs) actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey! Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton.
0: Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Helen, wonderful to see you. How are you? I'm very, very well. Now, you must be especially excited because I know you to be a fan of Star Trek. Huge. And one of our guests today, I'm not sure which, but one of our guests was on the original cast of Star Trek. (laughs) Yes.
1: I had to really check myself from acting wildly
0: inappropriately. <laughs> now, uh, funny contrast, I have never seen an episode of Star Trek.
1: See, this is one of the things that just makes me go, how are we hosting a but podcast That's what together? you call
0: diversity.
1: <laughs> how is that possible, Jakey? Well,
0: here's the thing. People assumed, uh, as I was growing up, that I had seen many episodes of Star Trek because I was, I believe, what they called back then, a nerd. <laughs>
1: A yes. so
0: I had, I had all of the trappings of a Trekkie, uh, except for actually having watched the program.
1: Well, no, were you more into Star
0: Wars? No, I didn't like things that took place in space. I'm leaving. Okay. <laughs> Helena, we had a good run, didn't my we? My
1: literal, like, my... Yeah.
0: Space, like space is my
1: happy place. Yeah. Space okay. is my happy place.
0: I do not begrudge people who enjoy the space things. I had many friends who were into the, mm. the various uh, treks and wars of space and, uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, I, liked, uh, I liked Weird Al. Ugh. Okay. A little bit.
1: I have the opposite problem. I think a lot of people assume that I don't, I'm not a sci-fi nerd and right. I am a Raging sci-fi nerd. I love Trek. I love Wars. I love anything that takes place in space. I am like on board for it. I think because I had an awkward childhood, mm-hmm. and so I think if you have an awkward childhood and you have a hard time fitting in, like, in high school and, and middle school and stuff, that's you start fantasizing about, like, where else could I be where I... No,
0: I, I'm, I'm on board with all that so far. Yeah. yeah. that definitely, you know, we're both in comedy, so yeah, yeah. we both definitely had you, that. for you,
1: but I think it's weird that you, for you, it was Weird Al. Yeah. Like, you wanted to be Weird Al, or you wanted to...
0: I just wanted to laugh. So I wouldn't cry. Oh No, I
1: just wanted to be like, peace out, Earth."
0: Yeah. And I, just didn't, go. I didn't have that in my vocabulary for some reason as a yeah. young child, I so I just wanted to be yeah.
1: like literally th- th- millions of miles, preferably, away from all the horrible people in high school, I guess.:
0: Yeah. I definitely, again, wanted that, but it didn't imagine that that would this take place. It became in space. so cheerful.: It did. It did. <laughs> hey, let's talk about something we both enjoy. Uh, Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they shouldn't know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is a comedian and writer who's written for comedy shows like The
1: Dish, game shows like Common Knowledge, and animated series like Invader Zim. It's Danielle Koenig. Danielle
0: Koenig.
1: (laughs) Welcome Danielle. Yes. Thank you. Danielle, it says Happy here in my notes here. that
0: you and I have known each other for decades and have shared the stage many times.
2: We were in Acme Comedy Theater together where we met. Yes. And did lots of sketches. Yes. And put on funny wigs.
0: Yes, there were a lot of there were a lot of funny. I I always felt either the performance or the wig should be funny.
2: Yes, and wigs are expensive so yes. we better Try be to be right. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, eagle-eared listeners will recognize that you were here at our uh, first show uh, because <laughs> you were in the audience, and uh, your husband Jimmy Pardo was uh, was our guest on the first show, and uh, we asked him, uh, I believe, for his cluster fact—a question that you suddenly realized the answer to in uh-huh. a very loud, gaspy manner. <laughs> <laughs> Which we love. We love celebrating uh, knowledge. I thought you here. were going
2: to say yeah. we could hear your obnoxious laugh. No, that's not what at I all. Get. No, okay. no,
0: no. No laughs are obnoxious in my oh, book. Oh, I've
2: been admonished for my laugh. Really? What? Yes. W-
0: by, by whom and in what context? Uh, well,
2: once I was on an airplane laughing with my friend. We were on a flight, and uh, the guy in front of me turned around and he said, Could you just be quiet, you girls, with that laugh, with that machine gun? Ha 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 laugh. Oh, yeah. no, Directed what did you say that? Right
0: no, I think what I said was,
2: well, she has marijuana in her shoe, which was true. But um, <laughs>
0: Why did you want to nark your friend out? Because
2: it wasn't fair that I was getting in trouble for my laugh. <laughs> oh, I see. She
0: was laughing because she had the marijuana.
2: No, the two are unrelated. I just was mad that... That I was getting in trouble for a, I think lap. you should let your freak laugh fly.
0: Yeah. I
2: have no choice. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of the, your writing credits. Aside from the ones that uh, Helen had mentioned, you also had written on Star vs. Forces of Evil. Yes. You've written for the WGA Awards, for Fashion Police, for Invader Zim, the TV show, and the comic. Yes. That's, all, that's all very impressive <gasps> and fun.
2: Yeah. Did you work with Joan Rivers? Well, I did work with Joan Rivers. On oh, yes. Fashion Police. I did, yes. Oh what was that God. like? I mean, it was crazy. It was a ridiculous job. Because yeah. we would sit around the table, pitch jokes for like an hour. Like we each had 10 jokes on the same picture. Then she would never laugh. She would just nod or not say anything. Then you'd get home and you'd get a phone call saying, okay, we need 20 more jokes on that picture. It was, it, was, it was
0: tough. It's not all, it's not yeah, all, no, all no, laughs no. and giggles.
2: It was, it was all right. It was, was kind of the... neat to work with a legend regardless. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she felt the same way. For sure. For sure. Now, uh, on Invader Zim, I told people that we were having on the show, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, she wrote Invader Zim. Audible gasps. I got audible gasps from people. It's a really beloved show. People really love to remember that show.
2: I love it as well.
0: (laughs) How is it different writing uh, the cartoon version of it versus the comic book version of it?
2: There actually wasn't that much difference. When we wrote the comics, uh, when they sent me... The, you know, the format, this is how we do it, it's just like a script. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't very different. And I'm not an extremely visual person, so I didn't detail every single panel. I would just let the artists do that, because they're talented at that, and I'm not really mm-hmm. so. But um, it really wasn't that different, except it had been a long time. What was in the time in between? I mean, the show was on in 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. It was canceled because of 9-11. Yay! Really? Um, yeah, that's just sort of the magic I bring to every... Um, <laughs> they thought the show was too dark. They always thought that Nickelodeon, it, it just was in the wrong place. The okay. show should not have been on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon was, you know, SpongeBob.
3: Right. And then it
2: was our show that was about death and destruction and dark colors and, and dark music. And then they thought, well, you know, the world's just been turned upside down. Maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't continue this.
0: Okay, so, so it wasn't because they had, like, you know, 24-hour news if, coverage or something all of a sudden.
2: No, it, <laughs> yeah. no, Nickelodeon running. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They just thought, yeah, this is probably a good time to drop the show that gives us a headache anyway. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Now, we have to talk about the fact that you're going to be appearing tonight uh, uh, with your father, who, of course, was on yes. Star Trek. I assume you must be a huge Star Trek fan. <laughs>
2: I've seen all the movies.
0: Okay. But uh, do people assume like they assumed about me growing up but for different reasons that you were uh, you were a big Trekkie?
2: Probably, yeah. 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 I've not seen every episode even. Okay. Yeah.
0: And uh, did did kids treat you different when they found out that uh, your dad was on Star Trek?
2: Occasionally. There was, you know, occasionally there was attention, but you have to understand that by the time I was, you know, a kid, right. the show had already been off the air was before the movies Oh, okay so there wasn't like it wasn't that exciting you know both of your blase
1: attitudes towards Star Trek (laughs) is
2: literally making me want to flip
1: a table (laughs) and go put on my Federation uniform and beam on up out of here
0: now I want to explain I am not anti Star Trek it just doesn't move me particularly
2: no I mean I I enjoy very much the movies I just for some reason didn't get that into the TV show okay that's
0: Helen, all. can you accept that? Ugh. <laughs> okay, well...
2: I started re-watching them with my son. My, my son and I did
0: watch some episodes. And, and dare I ask, I don't want to have your son have to face Helen's wrath, did your son enjoy watching Star Trek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, thank oh, goodness. thank God. The
2: famous quote is that he said, there was the episode, Trouble the Tribbles where... Um, Iconic. Chekhov gets all mad, he's drinking vodka or something, and he gets all mad, and they get into a fight, and he like hops on a table, and Oliver, who was what, like eight at the time or something? Said, I can't believe my grandpa's a table-jumping maniac. <laughs> so.
0: I said the same yeah. thing about my grandpa, but it was an entirely different situation. Right. It's wonderful to uh, be on stage with you again and to have you here. Danielle Koenig, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Danielle be competing? Oh.
1: A prolific writer whose book *Warped Factors* is being re-released with new material, and a prolific actor who is best known for his roles on *Babylon 5* and as Chekov on *Star Trek*—the original series. It's Walter Koenig.
0: Walter Koenig, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Walter. Oh, I think Walter came to play. He's uh. It's a little bit of a threatening gesture towards his I competitor. Jesus. Welcome, Walter. Uh, Thank
4: you very much. I'm glad to be here. We're very
0: glad to have you. Well, have, you all, have you all appeared on stage together uh, previously?
4: I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Oh no, I don't think so. I, I was a little embarrassed about appearing on stage with Danielle. <laughs> Why would that be? Well, you know, th- there's a certain level of talent that I expect from the people <laughs> wow. who Wow. <are> right <laughs> But uh, you did write a movie
0: that Danielle had a, had a part in, didn't you?
4: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, she uh, she wrote the dialogue for herself. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And she was very funny. She was about, what, five months pregnant at the time?
2: Yeah, actually, it was. Yeah.
4: Right. yeah. And it was it was a scene in which uh, a comedian was on television, and they were watching her on television. And so she got up, and she did a stand-up. And, and, and she wrote all her own material. It was very funny. <gasps> yeah.
2: <laughs> And that's why my son appreciates Star Trek.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because of that, well, let's can you t- believe the blase attitude that these two have? <laughs> you
2: know what's so funny is when you said earlier, I can't believe the blase attitude you two have. I really thought you were referring to me and my dad. <laughs> 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 You're sort of
0: blase about yeah. Star Trek, right? Well, now Walter, that's actually a question I have: is uh, when you encounter someone who doesn't know a lot about Star Trek, is that a relief or a pleasure for you, or is that more annoying because you want to to talk about it?
4: You know, the, the fact of the matter is. I actually, particularly now as I grow older and as more time has elapsed between when I was performing Mm -hmm. as Chekhov and and the present day, uh, I'm occasionally surprised. When people, somebody's very smiley and, hi, I think that they like me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a fact that I suddenly realized, oh, they're they're actually remembering me from Star Trek.
0: Mm. That's still gotta kind of feel nice that they remember your work that you made in. Yeah, yeah,
4: no, impression. that's good. No, that's good. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I still make personal appearances, and it's important that people know who I am. And when they, <laughs> they walk by the table to the, to the 15-year-old kid who is a computer genius and is playing games, and they, his is the autograph that they want. Mm. You know, that's a little disconcerting. Mm.
0: Well, let me ask you about your book. You are reissuing the book, and uh, first of all, I wanted to say you actually wrote this book. Unlike some other Star Trek people who I won't name, who do not write their own books, Um, why did you want to uh, re-release it?
4: Well, I was approached by a publishing company um, who thought, uh, who kind of specializes in science fiction, and uh, they have actually uh, there's several volumes that they published on. the making of Star Trek at uh, the series and mm-hmm. the TV series called uh, These Are the Voyages. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not only uh, a republish, it's also an addendum. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the book was published in 1997, so this is the last 21, 22 years.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry to ask, uh, what what's some of the new material that you've added to it?
4: Well, everything that's happened to me uh, 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 during this, this period since 1997. I still had one year to go on... On Babylon 5, so I started the book with that, and then I went on to talk about how life has affected me as a consequence of my participation in Star Trek, and how it, it truly is. You know, I went. I, you know, it's one of those things where you go through uh, denial, and then you go through <laughs> acceptance, and then you go through actually revelating in the experience, and and how it's really insinuated every aspect of my life. Mm. Uh, And and there's no purpose in denying it. You know, there was a there was a juncture, there was a moment um, when, um, since I wasn't doing it, it felt like false applause, sort of imposter syndrome, a a, a laudatory response from an audience that I didn't deserve because I was no longer working on the show.
2: Well, I've I've read the addendum and it's really good. It's okay. very funny, and it's really entertaining.
0: That's right. It's interesting to see how, how that's changed over the years for you, Walter, that uh, you, you've sort of come to terms with it, maybe, it sounds
4: Yes, like. I, I think I have. At the age of 83, I think I have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Terrific.
1: I do want to say that, you know, your series was so groundbreaking for people of color, and even for women, even though there's a lot of things about it now that are, from a feminist perspective, a little bit problematic. But for me, growing up, I grew up watching TNG and some of TOS in the reruns in syndication. And for me, it was like the only time you would see Asian people on TV that weren't doing Kung Fu or had an accent. And so for me, it was so groundbreaking as a child, you know, being on watching people who look like me on TV that were not playing a caricature. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure.
0: Uh, We certainly appreciate your being here. Thank you so much, Walter Koenig, ladies and gentlemen. No, not over. No, no. Now the game part starts. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Please, 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 please have
4: us. What? Do you have time, just audience? Do you think we can get him to stay?
0: <laughs> Talk about applause you don't deserve. My, uh,
4: my, my objective here yes. tonight solely and wholly yes. is to embarrass my daughter. Well, <laughs> mission accomplished. Uh, all right, Walter and
0: Danielle, oh, we're happy to have you here. We asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you fill you some expertise. Danielle, you said you know a lot about dance moves, the Muppets, and the movie Modern Romance. Yes. Uh, Walter, you said you know a lot about Golden Age superheroes, the New York Yankees baseball teams of the 1950s, and the singer Pete Seeger. So later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics, but first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, the Bumpy Road. First up in the Bumpy Road, Danielle. Danielle, your question comes from a listener, Charlie Green of Cortland, New York. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to GoFactorPod.com and click on Get Involved. Danielle, in the topic of Bumpy Road. They both are pathways that can be bumpy, but what is the difference between a road and a street? A road and a street.
2: I also um, have written on many game shows, mm-hmm. so I should know this.
0: This is a common question on game shows? You're saying it, we plagiarized from... No, I, no.
2: no I'm just saying it's, yeah. it's dull enough to have been on something I've written. <laughs> um, no. Um, what,
0: what an I, honor that must be for okay. <laughs> Charlie Green of Portland, New York. <laughs>
2: A road is smaller.
0: A road is smaller.
2: Yeah, it's a than shorter a distance.
0: It's shorter in that way, not necessarily wider or narrower. Shorter uh, distance.
2: No, it's a shorter distance. It's a
0: shorter distance. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have Danielle's answer. We don't know yet if she's correct. Walter, what do you think?
4: Well, uh, a street is where you live, and a road is to perdition.
0: Is to perdition. <laughs> that certainly is a, a reference that includes the word road. I will agree. Would you like to amend your answer? Or oh, no. You're, I'm you're sticking good, with that.
4: I'm, I feel very, very confident. All
0: right. This is going to be a... A high-scoring affair tonight. Uh, all right, this segment has driven off into a ditch. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts.
1: Here are the facts. While people who name streets and roads are allowed to call them anything they want, the traditional differences are a street is usually in an urban area and has businesses or homes on either side. A road is usually in a rural area and connects urban areas and will have open space on either side.
0: That's right. Now, that is, of course, why John Denver didn't Sing Take Me Home Country Street, and uh, Bruce Springsteen didn't sing about the roads of Philadelphia. Helen, what does that mean as far as our score is concerned? I'm
1: gonna say uh, zero points. I'm gonna say that as well.
0: Still a valiant attempt by at least one of you. All right, up next in the bumpy road, Walter. Walter, they both hinder you from getting from here to there, but what is the difference between a speed bump and a speed hump? A speed bump and a speed hump. Um. <laughs> Danielle seems to be worried about the possible jokes her father could make from the word hump.
4: Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. I get okay. it. Yes. A speed bump is there's a in the road. There is a built up area that is there for the purpose of slowing you down. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your car will shake. And whereas a, st- a speed hump. Is your car also shakes, but that's because there's two people inside.
2: <laughs> You're supposed to answer it legitimately. Yes.
0: <laughs> Danielle, your greatest fears have been realized. I mean uh, I Walter, them. are you sticking with that answer? I am. I'm okay.
2: A- By the way, I'm loving it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Danielle, technically we don't know yet if he is correct or not. Yeah. Uh, what now do you this think? This is
2: killing me because this really was a question I wrote and I cannot remember. Uh, I'm going to say the height. The height between the speed bump and the speed... They're, they're two different heights.
0: Is one diff- one taller than the other?
2: Yeah. That would be the height no. difference. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle gives good shade
1: face. Uh,
0: rephrase. Which, Which one is one? higher Which one is than higher? the other?
2: Okay. I'm going to say... The hump is higher.
0: The hump is higher. That's my motto. All right, well, this segment is slowing us down. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts.
2: Here are the facts. Speed
1: humps have a gradual rise and a fairly long travel distance, meaning that a car gently rides up and down. <laughs> I said rides up and down. Um, You'll commonly find these on residential streets. Speed bumps have a sudden rise and a very short travel distance, meaning that a car abruptly jolts if it doesn't slow down. You'll commonly find these in parking lots where you need to go much more slowly. There are also speed tables which have long flat tops, like Kid from Kid and Play.
0: Thank you, Helen. That, of course, is right. Uh, the height actually can be the same between the two, so that is not a difference. By the way, in many parts of the world, speed bumps are called sleeping policemen, uh, though I've seen policemen sleep, and they do not like being run over. Lesson learned. Uh, Helen, what does that mean as far as our score is concerned?
1: After the first round, Danielle Koenig has zero points, and Walter Koenig also has zero points.
0: You could not ask for a closer game. Uh, those scores are hopefully bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead and we come back on go Fact yourself hey everybody maximum fun is running a survey to help figure out which advertisers are a good fit for our audience at go Fact yourself
1: we are still primarily audience-supported, and that will always be the case, but advertising can be a helpful source of income, especially right now.
0: For sure. Now, the results of the survey will help us talk to some new advertisers and convince them to give us a shot.
1: The survey is short, shouldn't take more than 10 minutes, and you'll get a discount at the Max Fun store for filling it out. Also, our gratitude.
0: So much gratitude. Go to MaximumFun.org adsurvey ad survey to fill it out. Helen, what's that website again?
1: MaximumFun.org slash ad survey.
0: It'll really help us out. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Danielle Koenig with zero points and Walter Koenig with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van
0: Straten. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) By the way, I can see the family resemblance in your scores. I
2: know, right? Uh, it's hereditary.
0: Danielle, of your many yeah. interests, you told us you know a lot about dance moves, the Muppets, and the movie Modern Romance. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about dance moves.
2: Okay. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I studied ballet from the age of five to whatever. And um, so I know those kind of dance moves. I also know some names of other dance moves. I love dance. I love dance in all its forms. I take a class called Old School Skinny on Saturdays, which is like 90s hip-hop.
0: What is your favorite 90s hip-hop dance move?
2: Oh, I guess, you know, the Roger Rabbit, you know, gotta go classic. Classic.
0: Classic. You also said you know a lot about the Muppets.
2: Thanks for asking, Keith. I do. Um... (laughs) I grew up with the Muppets, and I've passed love of the Muppets onto my son. We have gone to uh, see the Muppet movie at a movie theater recently. We went to an exhibit at the Skirball. We are very into
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what is it about the Muppets that appeals to you, do you think?
2: It's it's that combination of sweetness and I hate the word subversive because that's so cliche, but that's kind of what it was. It was very like weird and some. Sub- kind of violent in a funny way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I like. All right, You I mean great. like Star Trek? Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly, Helen. Yeah. Everything's like Star Trek. Yes. You also said you know a lot about the movie Modern Romance.
2: I just think it's a perfect movie. It's one of my favorites. Same I know here. you wrote your didn't you write your dissertation or something on not dissertation, I guess. Yeah, but that's very, the wrong very good. Word. Yes, I took okay. I
0: I designed my own college course on Albert Brooks movies. Yes. yes. See if
2: I knew I could have done that I would have stayed in college. Um <laughs> oh, white people <laughs>
0: She, it's just she, like Star Trek. She could have just yeah. said Jewish people, that's right? Wouldn't that have been
2: <laughs> fine? Um, yeah. So I just—it's—I think he's a genius, and it's—it's it's just one of those movies. Not a lot of people know about, but then when you show them, they're like, "Oh my god, that yeah. movie!" Yeah.
0: Yeah. Vietnam. This. This. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's one of my favorite lines. Right. Uh, all right. So to summarize, Danielle, you said you know a lot about dance moves, the Muppets, and the movie Modern Romance. Today, we want to quiz you about the Muppets. You seem you seem relieved by that. Well, I
2: was scared it was going to be dance moves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was...
0: That that would have been great to demonstrate on a podcast. I, yeah, I'm sure. I, yeah, yeah.
2: I had visions. Yeah. What's
0: your first memory of the Muppets?
2: Just the TV show, the Muppet Show. That's my first memory of just watching that and just loving it, and I couldn't wait for it to be on. Mm. And, and I had Muppet lunchboxes. The whole I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah.
0: So are, were you were you a collector, and are you a collector of Muppet memorabilia? I'm
2: not all? a collector. I did have some lunchboxes when it was the appropriate age to, and then <laughs> they were stolen. And what? then. Yeah, you know, at school, just jerks. No! Um, yeah, yeah. It's always those jerks. Well, I think one was stolen and one just rusted out or something. But then um, I have two uh, lunch boxes now. I don't even remember where I got them, but yeah. Oh, lovely. So.
0: And uh, uh, there have been many Muppet movies. Do you have a favorite? Oh, that's hard.
2: Uh, The first three are very good. Mm -hmm. The Great Muppet Caper, The Muppet Movie, and um, Muppets Take Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But also Muppets Most Wanted is actually really good, which is
0: more recent. Excellent. And uh, do you have a favorite character uh, in the Muppet sphere? I guess Fozzie. Fozzie's pretty great. Fozzie's yeah, so really
2: good. Great. He's so, he's just a bad stand-up comic. Yeah. Just <laughs> <that even laughs> up. Did you can learn a lot
0: of techniques from him.
2: Sadly, yes.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. You you begin end your set saying waka, waka, waka. I, I did, yeah, yeah. I always appreciated that. <laughs> waka. The, that's right. And the necktie with no clothes. <laughs> yes, the yes. Uh, All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the Muppets to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five questions about your topic. so nervous. Oh, this is all happy and celebrating. I know, okay. Okay, It's the Muppets. How can it make you anxious? (laughs) Oh, Jewish. You're right. Right. Um... (laughs) If you want it, you're allowed to hint for
4: any two of these five. Oh,
0: puppets. right, okay. Now, Walter, do listen up, because uh, if Danielle gets any wrong, you have a chance to steal. By the way, Walter, how much do you know about the
4: Muppets? I know absolutely nothing.
0: All right. Well, Danielle, it sounds like it's your game to lose. Here we go. Question number one. Which Muppet is the only amphibian American to ever testify before the United States Congress? Kermit. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. That is correct. Wouldn't that be something if it weren't... It
2: was was Robin.
0: (laughs) so, So sad. In 2008, Kermit and a team of conservationists spoke to Congress to promote awareness of endangered amphibians. Uh, very good. You're on the board. Wow. Here's question number two. The Muppet show's opening theme is a huge production number with dozens of Muppets performing on stage. In the later seasons of the show, there are also Muppets in the audience who reply to a line in the theme song with a line of their own. What line of the song does the audience sing?
2: Why don't you get things started? Helen? That is correct. That is correct.
0: <laughs> the line they are responding to is, it's time to get things started.
2: Why don't you get things started? Hey,
0: we did it! You're two for two. Here's question number three. Which Muppet, who appeared in dozens of episodes of The Muppet Show and in almost every Muppet movie, has an act that involves throwing boomerang fish?
2: That would be Lou Zealand. Ellen? That
0: is correct. With confidence and for good reason. How did you feel about Lou Zealand? He always bothers me a little bit.
2: (laughs) sort of disturbing to look at but yeah
0: and also the whole thing of like here's a dirty fish that so just so gross back. Yeah, wait he just cool.
2: throws a fish yeah he and just throws cr- a fish yeah,
0: yeah yeah but that's what I mean it's just like it's so ridiculous it's so weird yeah. it's so stupid yeah. I don't... did they have fish throwers on Star Trek Helen? I not that I remember question number four <laughs> the Muppets theatrical films are marked by cameos from a wide range of stars but which of the following stars has not made a cameo in a theatrically released Muppet movie Orson Welles Joan Rivers Hulk Hogan Burt Reynolds Peter Falk or Usher.
2: Orson Welles was in the first one, mm-hmm. the Muppet movie. Joan Rivers was in Take Manhattan. Usher, I'm guessing, was in the Muppets. And what were the other two? Uh,
0: we had Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds and Peter Falk.
2: And Peter Falk was in the yeah the Great Muppet Caper. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Hulk Hogan.
0: Would you like to use your first hand?
2: Sure. Hulk Hogan was in a Muppets movie. That's my hint, the answer?
0: <laughs> no, because we're asking for who was not in a Muppets movie.
2: Yeah, okay, so Burt Reynolds. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. What movie was, what movie was Hulk Hogan in? Girl, Hulk. that was a great hint.
0: Uh, Hulk Hogan was in Muppets from Space, playing Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood we don't talk Hogan. about that oh, one. All right, very good. You're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five, Danielle. Okay. The first Muppet to be a regular on a network TV series was Ralph the Dog, who appeared as a sidekick on nearly every episode of what country stars 1960s variety show?
2: Jimmy Dean. Helen? That is correct. Danielle Koenig is five for
0: five. And you were nervous going into it. Fun fact, before he became a sausage entrepreneur, uh, Jimmy Dean was offered a 40% stake in the Muppets, but he turned it down because he said he didn't earn it and couldn't live with himself if he took it. Wow. Jimmy Dean. Wow. I know. Jimmy People in Jean. Hollywood used to have integrity. Aww. Yeah. Uh You did very well, obviously, in that round, Danielle, but now here is your expert level question that Ooh. requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Everyone loves the wonderful performances by the Muppet characters and actors, but without writers, there would be nothing for them to say and do. There have been eight feature-length, theatrically-released Muppet movies from 1976 to 2014. They have a total of 14 credited screenwriters. For up to three points, name any three of those 14 writers.
2: Jerry Jewell. Jason Siegel. <sighs> I know Jim Henson didn't write them, which is weird. And I'm pretty sure Frank Oz didn't write anything... Lou Grade was the producer. I'm gonna say Lou Grade. I don't think it's right.
0: Lou Grade. All right, Uh, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight?
2: Here with
1: us tonight is an Emmy-winning writer, producer, director, designer, and puppeteer who has worked with the Muppets for over 30 years and who is one of the writers of Muppet Treasure Island. It's Kirk Thatcher! Kirk Thatcher! (laughs)
0: Mr. Thatcher uh, wearing a captain's hat, I believe a Star Trek uh, Yeah. You yes. It, uh, Helen? Yes.
5: you would I'm a twofer.
0: <laughs> you are. Well, before we get to talking about Wait, the
2: Muppets... can I ask him a question? Yes.
5: Absolutely. Were
2: you on Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge?
5: Yeah, I was one of the judges.
2: Yes, of course. I was okay, the I pretty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Watched it all. Very exciting. Oh, Excellent. Nice to
0: meet you. Yes, we definitely have a very qualified expert. Before we get to talking about the Muppets, uh, I want to mention that you actually have a connection to Walter and to the Star Trek universe. Tell us about that.
5: I uh, worked on Star Treks 2 and 3. I was associate producer and the punk on the bus in Star Trek 4. No way! What? And, and Walter was my favorite actor to hang out with on set because he was funny. We w- you would do shtick, and you know until Leonard told us to shut up. But um, we would have fun, man. You were hilarious. So, despite the fact that I'm failing miserably here, we know that I can be
4: funny on occasion. Huh? Yes. yes. yes.
0: You also have an entire topic of questions coming up. Uh, in addition to being the on-screen as the punk in that very memorable yeah. scene from Star Trek 4, you actually were the one who was had written and was performing the song. That I the wrote punk and was sang playing. the
5: song. Yeah, and no I, way. I, I actually was the voice of the computer in the beginning, who said logic That's me. I wrote this question. I I did a lot on the movie. In fact, the producer said we can't give you credit for everything because your name will be in the picture more than Leonard's. <laughs> and that's that's a no no. Okay, wow. I'll, I'll give you a bit of nostalgia, please. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> For those in our listening audience, we even got this is the direction you have to come that
5: to was the was live
0: correction. shows. Oh I gotta go change my pants. Yes, I believe I believe Walter just gave what I believe is called the Vulcan Death Grip. Yes. Yeah. Yes, see I yeah. know a few things. Still never seen it nerve episode.
5: nerve pinch. It's nerve not pinch. a death. Excuse yeah. me. Yes, our audience The please, punk did not down. die. In fact, the yes. punk lived on to be a cameo in Star-in Spider-Man. I was going to ask you Homecoming, about that as well. Yeah, so that yeah. was
0: the same character you were playing that, many years later. And
5: that's due to Kevin Feige being a huge Trek fan. <laughs> that's terrific see how the world gets smaller, and smaller. Absolutely.
0: Now, in addition to the Star Trek world, you have, you did a lot of other things uh, first in the science fiction world because you worked at at ILM. Yeah. At Industrial Light and Magic. That was actually your first gig.
5: My first gig, yeah, was Return of the Jedi, building creatures with with Phil Tippett, and then stop I stop
0: it. Okay. No, no, Tippett, Tippett. <laughs> Sorry.
5: Ooh, clever. I need more coffee. Yeah, uh, working uh, with Phil Tippett and the creature gang uh, on Jedi, and then I worked on Gremlins. With Chris Wallace and I did some work on ET. I actually, did work on Star Trek's two and three. I puppeteered the Klingon dog that was um, <laughs> underneath. I was crammed under the chair of uh, Chris Lloyd's chair on the uh, <laughs> ship. There, do, doing the this. clamor never room. ends in Hollywood. Yeah, night. I know. I was covered in slime with the slime worms that started on the Genesis, the Genesis planet. When uh, yeah, so lots of weird, odd jobs. I, I, yeah, that's terrific. I have so- career ADHD.
4: <laughs> well,
0: you, you've stuck with it for a long time and done some great work. Uh, tell us about how you first got involved with the Muppets.
5: I'd done Star Trek four, and a woman who was a headhunter for a special effects company, Robert Abel and Associates, had joined with another company, Omnibus, and they came Omnibus Abel. She'd become a friend, and her husband, her name's BJ Rack, and her husband, her ex-husband was Bill Frawley, who directed, sorry, Jim Frawley, who directed the first Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had created some weird, funny alien puppet creatures. I was trying to do a show around them. And she said, you know, who would love this is Jim Henson. I said, yeah, you know, big, big fan. I'd never met him. I'd worked with people on Jedi who had just come off Dark Crystal. So obviously I knew what he was doing with creatures and all that. And uh, I said, well, um, I'll broker a a meeting. I said, great. So I met Jim at, uh, he was staying at the Bel Air Hotel. And uh, we had lunch and I brought a bunch of drawings and these, couple of these sculptures and, and we just hit it off and, and, uh, about two weeks later, actually, funny story. My mom answers the phone, because I was living at home at that time, because uh, Star Trek didn't pay well, but I didn't turn it down. <laughs> it was a great job, but it, didn't, it paid so little I had to move back in with my parents. So my mom answers the phone, and she thought a friend was goofing on me, because I have goofy friends going, Hi there, is the uh, crook-datcher there? <laughs> <laughs> and my mom's like, Oh, uh, yes, he is. She was like playing along like it was yeah. a friend goofing. And she's like, I Tell him it's Jim Henson. And uh, she's like, okay, Mr. Jim, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to the phone. She's like, hey, and So we talked. She said, oh. And my mom was, you know, Betty Crocker, like the you know, June Cleaver. So, was so offend- she was so embarrassed that mm. she had kind of been arch with him but uh, <laughs> anyway so he called me and I started working with him and that was 1986. Wow. That's 87 wow. yeah. A long and time uh,
0: Since then you've directed four of the Muppets TV movies you've done yeah. countless commercials music videos. Uh, how, how do you direct Muppets as a, as a director?
5: <laughs> it's funny I'm giving a talk on that next week. Um, <laughs> puppet directing is it's a magic trick it's always misdirection. There's an added layer of you're hiding something in every shot whether it's an arm rod it's mainly 12 people underneath the camera lens and, you know, it looks like three puppets are walking down the street mm. and you've got an entire army of, of techs and rollers and, and monitors. Um, so part of it is is trying to keep all that in mind and then ignore it. In other words, make it just look like, oh, it's, it's the biggest curse of puppet directing. <laughs> it's a weird little ghetto. People are like, oh, you just do kid shows, right? You just, you know, puppets stand there and, and talk. Mm. You're like, you have no idea. It's like a Star Trek or a Star Wars movie yeah. with... It really is a balancing act between art and and entertainment and comedy because you want to keep it. You don't want it to get technical for the performers. You want them to ad-lib and so create an environment that's fun, but also so the technical stuff, you want to be sort of invisible, not only to the audience, but even to the people once they're in the moment performing.
0: I imagine it must be an adjustment for a lot of these stars that you have to come and and work with Muppets in that way.
5: Actually, it's funny. that There's a Trek story there. Um, Most... Actors get it. It's like you look in the puppet's eyes and you just talk with him. But we had Bill Shatner on. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill was on with uh, Miss Piggy, and we were doing a riff on the uh, Terror at 40,000 Feet uh, Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> and he just couldn't get over the puppeteer. Like, if I'm Bill and, and this is Miss Piggy, he just kept looking down at Frank. And it was so weird. It's like, are you? I, I, do I look at you? Or, you know, it just seemed weird that yeah. he seemed very flustered by it. And I think he didn't. The impression I got, and didn't ask him, but he seemed like he didn't want to appear foolish. You know, he, he didn't want to seem silly. So. Uh, Does that it, sound like uh, William Shatner to you?
4: I'm having a problem figuring out who William Shatner is.
0: Oh, okay, well <laughs> we'll we'll talk after.
5: Wow! Uh, it just got shady in yeah, here. Got a little, yeah, <laughs> Very yeah. shady.
0: Well, you actually won an Emmy for your writing on Muppets Tonight. Uh, Muppets Tonight, yeah, yeah. Which was oh, thank you. Wow. You actually did a Star Trek themed episode. I love this, where
5: uh, where Beaker goes on a Star Trek cruise. Yes. And George Takei is there. And I I played the nerdy Klingon guest. He's like, yeah, uh, Captain, uh, whatever, run in and yeah. say, "Uh, the the Battlestar Galactica ship has crashed with our ship, and we're we're sinking." And George is <laughs> like, "Well, I guess I'm captain." And then we had Captain Kangaroo come in and said, "Sorry, George, I'm." <laughs> That was that was the kind of the subversive thing you were talking this, about earlier. With this
2: sounds like a weird dream I had. once. it
5: was like all your favorite TV characters coming yeah. together and being yeah. odd with Muppets. Did yeah.
2: you get to write for Pepe?
5: I, I helped create Pepe. He's yes! one of my characters. He's yeah. One of the
2: best characters. Only ever. If, oh,
5: thank you. What goes into creating a character? Well, with the Muppets, it's actually pretty complicated because you don't, unlike most television shows or anim, any any even movies, you don't. The writer is not king. You have to include. Not only the character, because they're an established character and franchise, but you need to include the performers. The performers are tied to those characters the way Mike Myers is tied to Austin Powers. You don't bring someone in and go, oh, we got uh, Jim Carrey's going to be Austin Powers okay. now. The only thing I can think of is like Monty Python or an SNL where you have a troop. And you're not just writing characters and we, oh, we'll cast somebody right like the hollywood bowl show which we just did a couple years which ago oh two it was O2. so good was so people good. loved it because we had them as part of it which was back to the way the original show was they were very involved in the creation of it not just like here's your lines reading right. and, and flap the doll's lips yeah so
0: yeah uh well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the movies uh you turn, were one of the writers on muppet treasure island yes uh, what was that gig like?
5: Well, they had just done... I had been writing on Dinosaurs and helped create the show Dinosaurs, so that got me my Writer's Guild card. Thank you. Was that for the
0: Guild or for Dinosaurs?
5: Yeah. Yeah, WGA Solidarity! So I had done that, and they had just done A Muppet uh, Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. which was very sweet and charming, and I'm like, oh, God, I miss the subversive, nutty, weird Muppets. So we were sitting around, like, coming up with ideas, and one of them was Muppets, uh, Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur, and I said, let's do a balls-out, nutty pirate movie... And so our first version of the script was, it started as Treasure Island and ended up like a road picture. Um, with giant tiki gods chasing him down the island and, and you know, the kind of them turning to camera going, this isn't in the book, this isn't in the book.
0: By the way, a road picture, not a street picture.
5: Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Captain Callback to the Thank rescue. You. Thank you. We started going to production. They brought in James Hart, who was kind of known for adapting classic novels. He had done uh, Coppola's Dracula and he'd done uh, Robert De Niro's Frankenstein. So he came in and he kind of uh, brought it more back to the original book, which I fought against tooth and nail, but he was a successful screenwriter and I was just a weirdo. Um, (laughs) And then I was on set with Jerry. So we start filming on a Monday that Friday. He and I are doing the final polish and we had just literally hit save. And we were going to read through one more time. It was like seven o'clock on a Friday and the script started turning into gibberish (gasps) early days of screenwriting software. The more we looked at it, the more it became literally Greek, like gibberish.
0: Every writer in the room, their heart just yeah, exactly.
5: Yeah, so we called. It was we were in London, so we called LA or we emailed, I guess, uh, uh, the company and said your your software is eating our script. And they're like, we'll send it to us and we'll at least stop that. And we're like, "When, when can we have it? Oh, Monday morning. We're like, okay. So we just rewrote the whole script that oh. night. Really? We oh. rewrote oh. it in a new file, and because we figured it was corrupted, so and, and they got us some hacky version of what we'd done, so we, we just, it was still so fresh in our minds that we just, they went, changed
2: right. the jokes, they made yeah. the jokes about it, yeah. Everyone's got
5: rewrite notes. <laughs> That's um, perfect. So yeah, that was, that was crazy, and I think Jerry and I went out and had a <laughs> big drink on Saturday. Like we, we've earned this. Well,
0: yeah. I love these stories, so well, let's get to the reason that we yes, brought you Yes, Yes. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the question that we asked of Danielle. We wanted to know three of the fourteen writers who'd been credited on the Muppet movies. Helen, what was the first answer that Danielle gave?
1: Danielle said Jerry Jewell.
5: That is, factor,
0: he that is wrote correct. That is correct. That's on, a yes. point for Danielle. What was the second answer that Danielle gave?
1: Danielle said Jason Siegel. That
5: is correct. That is correct. Oh, Another I point.
0: No. He, of course, uh, co-wrote The Muppets. Jerry Jewell has written a bunch of them. Uh, I should mention The Muppet Movie he was a writer on, The Great Muppet Caper, uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol, Treasure Island, as we mentioned as well. And then finally, Helen, what was the third answer that Danielle gave?
1: Danielle said Lou Grade.
5: That is incorrect. He's incorrect the yeah, he was the producer who made the original Muppet series. A
0: producer, but no points there, but still very well two points there. I was uh, surprised to learn that Jim Henson did not write on The Muppets. Yeah,
5: movie. a lot of people thought he did. Actually, Jack Burns, who was the original head writer on The Muppet series, the first season... Wrote it with with Jerry. Um, Jack Burns was probably most well known from the comedy team. Well, I don't know this crowd, but if you're over fifty five, uh, Burns and uh, Burns and sure. a driver. Sure, and uh, yeah. Jack Burns actually turns out because I looked. I I met him once years ago. I think at Jim's funeral, sadly, but he was the guy they would put on new sitcoms or comedy shows, particularly, uh, and and he was like the golden boy. So I, think I remember that. Yeah, 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 he was the go-to guy for uh, network comedies.
0: Right. And of course, one of the answers very well could have been Mr. Kirk Thatcher. Thatcher. And
5: Frank Oz did. You said, no, Frank Oz didn't. He actually wrote Ah, on Manhattan. He was a writer on Manhattan for the screenplay. But
0: you still did very well in that. Uh, Danielle, is there anything you'd like to ask our expert while we have him here? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, Deep breaths. Were you involved
2: at all in the most recent um, series? No,
5: No, I was not. Okay. I take that as a badge of honor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, it got shadier in here. Again. Yeah, yeah, no, it got shadier. I had a lot of friends who worked on it, and you know, I, I wanted it to do well because you know, a high tide raises all boats. But I, I think they kind of missed. Speaking of boats, I think they missed that boat. Yeah, yeah
0: you are you are still involved uh, with the Muppets. You're working on a Yeah, I, series, is I, that right? the
5: the new Disney Plus Muppet stuff that's coming out. I think in the spring. I, I did like three hours of directing on that.
2: Oh, I know what the question I want to ask you is: yes, uh, Do you need writers?
5: <laughs> Sadly, I'm I I I ask them that all the time. I, I do not work for them full time, so I'm I'm a freelancer. Well, um, we usually do our networking after the show, not during. Yeah. But I certainly if, if, appreciate. If, well, this the is If we get I if we get a new I series, I will you know put your name. Well, Thank you so much for being here. That was really, really really cool.
0: Kirk, if people want to find out more about you or your work?
5: Um, uh, You can go to my website, uh, www.kirkrthatcher.com or Instagram or uh, Facebook, Kirk R. Thatcher.
0: It's wonderful to have you. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. Kirk Thatcher, ladies and gentlemen. Kirk Thatcher. Thank you. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round?
1: At the end of that round, Danielle Koenig has seven points and Walter Koenig has zero points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk
0: with Walter about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Danielle and Walter will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself.
3: stories about the games we love
0: triple click is hosted by me kirk hamilton me jason shire
3: and me maddie
2: myers
0: you can find triple click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at maximumfun.org.
1: bye welcome back to go fact yourself where our score is danielle koenig with seven points and walter koenig with zero points once again here's Jake keith van stratton thank
0: you helen thanks everybody Walter, of your many interests, he told us you know a lot about Golden Age superheroes, New York Yankees baseball teams of the 1950s, and Pete Seeger. Let's find out more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Golden Age superheroes. Well, I
4: thought I did. Um, I went to Google and I found out there's about a hundred that I never heard of.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about what, what you love. And First of all, what do you consider the Golden Age of superheroes? Well,
4: 1940s, okay. n- 1940s, 1950s, until I stopped reading comics, which was when I was about 12. Okay. So it was the faucet characters, the Captain Marvel group of characters, and the DC characters, Superman, Batman, et it all. Uh, who was your favorite? Actually, there was a character on the radio called the, the, either the Hood or the Black Hood, mm-hmm. and it was only 15 minutes long. And for some reason, I was totally captivated by this character. And then they actually put him in the comic books. And uh, I was in heaven when I discovered that he was actually in the comic book.
0: But is that why you wear a black hood tonight? <laughs>
4: That's exactly yes.
0: Oh, there he is. Oh, oh! We know the secret identity of the black hood. It's Walter Koenig. All right, Walter, you also said you know a lot about the New York Yankees baseball teams of the 1950s.
4: Yeah, because I root for the winners, and they were winners <laughs> throughout most of the 50s. And I started, to watch, I started uh, following baseball when I was 11. And it was 1947, Yankees. They won the pennant that year. They lost the next year, but then they won five years in a row, from 49 through 54. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a pretty good memory about most of the players. And were I, you
0: living in New York at the time? I was. I grew up in New York. Did you get to go to games?
4: I went to a few games. I saw uh, Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra hit home runs back to back, which was a big deal in Yankee Stadium. What part of New York did you grow up in? I grew up in an area. Uh, in the northern tip of Manhattan called Inwood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, so it yeah. makes sense that you'd be a Yankee
0: fan. Yeah, yeah. All right, you also said you know a lot about the singer Pete Seeger.
4: I know some about him. Uh, Pete um, was an extraordinary man. Uh, he, in, in my lifetime, he is the man for all seasons. Mm-hmm. He was always the person he represented to be. Humanitarian idealism, and he lived, he lived that life. I worked in a settlement house camp in Beacon, New York, right uh, close to where he actually had his home. And every two weeks, we'd have a new group of kids come up from the Lower East Side of New York, and he'd come over, and over a campfire, he'd sing songs. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. It was just it was just amazing.
0: Wow, I had no idea about that. That's really wonderful to hear. Um, all right, so to summarize, Walter, you said you know a lot about the Golden Age superheroes, the New York Yankees baseball teams of the 1950s, and Pete Seeger. Today, we're going to quiz you about... New York Yankees baseball team of the 1950s. Uh, did you have a favorite player of that era?
4: Absolutely.
0: Joe D. Joe D. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio, sure. Uh, have you ever gotten to meet any players of, from the Yankees?
4: No. Okay. Uh, um, my mother did. My mother met Joe DiMaggio, and it was under such embarrassing circumstances that I, uh, she sat next to him on an airplane, and she was eating a, a sandwich from the delicatessen. <laughs> And um, somebody came up and, and you know and shook his hand. And my mother was chewing, you know, and, and the roast beef. And uh, she says, "Well, you're a baseball player." And, <laughs> and he, said, he says, He says, Would you signed is." Uh, she had a little photo of me, and, and I, was, you know, I was a little on the pudgy side. And he signed the back of it. And it was I had such extraordinary conflict for years because on the one hand I had Joe DiMaggio's signature. On the other hand, I was this pudgy little guy. I didn't want anybody to see any of that. That's
0: got to be one of the rarest Joe DiMaggio autographs of it's all probably, time probably, on a photo of Walter Koenig. <laughs> uh, Alright, well just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic with a three-part question. Before that, here's a chance for you to show off your knowledge. You get five questions with two hints if you want it. Uh, Danielle, do listen closely because <laughs> if, you're, if your father gets any of them wrong, you have a chance to steal. How much do you know about the 1950s Yankees, Danielle? You
2: know what? All I know is what I learned on smash (laughs) they did a musical about Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio was a
0: character (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to pull the name of that song, but I can't. something only, know, only at night or something. know, it's Joe DiMaggio. Yes. How do you
2: give up a part like Joe DiMaggio? Right. That was the actor. All
0: right, well, we'll see if any of his later musical appearances come up on the show. But for now, Walter, here's question number one. In the 1950s, the Yankees appeared in the World Series eight times, winning six of them and beating four different teams. Name one of the teams the Yankees defeated.
4: Well, I know they defeated the Brooklyn Dodgers.
0: Ellen, That is correct. That is correct. They defeated the Brooklyn Dodgers three times, in fact. They also beat the Phillies, the Giants, and the Milwaukee Braves.
4: 1950, the Phillies.
0: Fun fact, during the 1950s, Yankees players won six of the AL MVP awards as well. They pretty much dominated that entire decade. Uh, Here's question number two. His real name was Charles, but what was the more commonly used name of the Hall of Fame manager of the Yankees for all of the
4: 1950s? Casey Stengel.
0: Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. I think we may have bored Walter with that question. Casey Stengel in fact managed the Yankees from 1949 to 1960, later on managed the Mets. Question number 3. In 1947, the Dodgers and Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier becoming the first African-American player in the majors. It took the Yankees another 8 years to have an African-American player. That man was selected for 3 All-Star teams in the 1950s. Who was he?
4: Elston Howard.
0: Ellen? That is correct. That is correct, Elston Howard. Wow. Uh, fun fact, he has a monument in Yankee Stadium, Monument Park.
4: Yeah. And a right. right of fact, this interesting story was uh, the Yankees were going to bring up a player from Kansas City named Vic Power. They chickened out. Mm-hmm. They, they lost the nerve, and they actually traded him to some other team for a Caucasian player. So uh, we were waiting for a long time for mm-hmm. the Yankees to do, do the right thing, and they ultimately did.
0: Yeah, they did. It's interesting that you think of New York as this bastion of progressive thoughts and diversity, and, and they, they still didn't uh, do it right away.
4: And the interesting thing is that the Boston Red Sox, who were their most heated and hated rival, were the last team that's right. in the American League to bring an African-American on board.
2: That does not surprise me. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds... That's, yeah. that sounds... <laughs> That fits the brand. <laughs>
4: yeah, a little bit. Uh,
0: all right, you're three for three, Walter. Here's question number four. There were many players who wore a Yankee uniform in the 1950s who were later inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but only two of them started and ended the decade with the team. Name one of the two Hall of Famers who played with the Yankees in both 1950
4: and 1959.
0: Whitey Ford. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Whitey Ford. Danielle, I'm sure you knew it was Yogi Berra. Yogi oh, Berra of course was there he did. the entire of course time as well. Of course he did. Walter, you also have a chance to go five for five. Here is the next question. We're recording in a brewery, and this question is about what was once the third largest Valentine bre- Beer brewery in America and a proud sponsor <laughs> of the Yankees. Ballantine Beer. <laughs> The Ballantyne logo had three rings, each which stood for a quality of the beer. Name any one of the qualities represented by these rings. You're f***ing kidding
2: me. <laughs> you can ask for a hint.
0: You know, I almost wish I had been a Star Trek fan just so I could have appreciated that moment even more. Uh, Walter, you Guys, do have a. I am uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Walter, you do have a hint available if you'd like the hint. Okay, give me. Helen, a hint. how about that hint?
1: They were always said in the order of purity, body, and flavor. Helen, that is correct. That is correct! Walter
0: Koenig is five for five. Wow. Our first father-daughter competition both went five for five. Wow. Incredible. Uh, fun fact, broadcaster Mel Allen would refer to a Yankee home run as a Ballantine Blast. Uh, Ballantine, by the way, is now owned by Pabst. Uh, all right, Walter, you did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. We started this quiz by mentioning that from 1950 to 1959, the Yankees appeared in an astounding eight World Series, winning six of them. During that span, six different players started a World Series game for the Yankees at first base. For up to three points, name any three of them and we'll give you these clues. One is now in the Hall of Fame, another started at first base in six different World Series that decade, and another is the oldest living Yankee player. But again, you can give us any three of the six. Those are just hints for a certain three.
4: Muscarin?
0: All right, that's one answer.
4: Is it good? We'll tell you. Uh, we'll tell you after. <laughs> Okay, um... Joe Collins? All right. Um, come on, I should know this.
0: That's right. One of them's in the Hall of Fame?
4: Yeah, don't know.
0: Don't know, okay. Do you want to just name any other Yankee?
4: (sighs) Okay, Bobby Shantz. Okay, wasn't that fun?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. All right, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight?
1: Here with us tonight via phone from Fort Worth, Texas, is a man who started at first base for the Yankees in the 1955 World Series and at 98 years old is the oldest living Yankee player. It's Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson.
0: (laughs) Mr. Robinson, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, it's wonderful to hear you. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, I'm happy to be here. He's a knowledgeable baseball fan. A I Yankee would say fan. so.
0: It's it must be pretty nice to hear that a Yankee player thinks that you are
3: pretty knowledgeable about baseball.
4: I, I thank you. I appreciate that.
3: That's great. Well, we, he, he he is knowledgeable. And I'm glad, I'm happy he was a Yankee fan. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Well, you played for uh, a whole bunch of different teams. I should mention that you were a four-time All-Star. You played in two World Series. You won one of them with Cleveland. What was it like playing for the Yankees? How did that compare playing for all the other different teams that you played for?
3: Well, it was wonderful playing for the Yankees. You felt like you were going to win every day. And you did most days. (laughs) With the Yankees, we won the most games that any Casey Stengel ever won. Hmm. We won 103 games and we lost by eight.
4: That's right, Cleveland.
3: We got beat by Cleveland. They won eight (laughs) more games than we did, lost four straight to the Giants in the World Series.
4: Wow, Cleveland won 110 that year.
3: Well, 110, well, we won 102 then. Yeah. Still not not bad, not bad. I would love
0: if my baseball team won 102 <laughs> games. Uh, I should mention also that you made your Major League Baseball debut in 1942, but you did not play in majors for the next three seasons. Tell the people why you didn't play the next three seasons.
3: Well, I was in the, in the Navy. I was in the Navy for three years. I uh, came out and went back to Baltimore in the minor leagues in 1946. And 1947 was my initial year full-time in the big leagues. Wow. And we won the pennant in 1948. I had a great career, and the Yankees, of course, was the highlight of my career. I enjoyed playing with all those guys that were mentioned. Joe DiMaggio was my favorite player. Ted Williams was my favorite hitter. DiMaggio was my best all-around player. Did you get? An, I ever played
0: did you ever get an autograph from Joe DiMaggio on a childhood picture of yours?
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> it, no, I didn't. All right, you're, I you're, got I, what, I, what I did. You'll get a kick out of this. Uh, when I was with the White Sox, one day uh, this girl showed up, beautiful girl, and she was doing a shoot, a picture shoot with the, one of our outfielders, Gus Zerniel. Nobody knew who she was, but except everybody knew she was very pretty. The next week, after it was over, we kidded Gus about it and all that. But the next week, everybody on the team got a picture, an autographed picture from her, and uh, it was Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) And, And my picture was autographed with love to Eddie, Marilyn Monroe. But she spelled Eddie E D I. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I stood in the middle of the clubhouse and I said, Anybody can't spell Eddie any better than this. I don't want their picture. And I tore it up.
0: <laughs> now, if it were me, I would have just changed my name to Edie.
3: <laughs> well, that's a, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Story. I
0: definitely did. You wrote a book about uh, your experience in baseball. It's called Lucky Me. I did. I wrote yeah.
3: a book. It's a good book full of stories called Lucky Me.
0: The full title is Lucky Me, My 65 Years in Baseball. After your playing career, you worked as a scout and then as a coach in the front office. Now, you were also active in in helping get uh, some benefits for union members. What what was that about?
3: What what was big in the players' mind when, when I was playing was they all wanted a pension. Sure. And there was no pension. And the pension came about during the time I was playing. But it wasn't much. The older players wanted an increase in their pension. Sure. We, we were required to have four years to mm-hmm. be vested in the plan. Well, I didn't think I was right. I went on a crusade with Early Wind and some other uh, players uh, to get an increase for those guys. And we finally did, and, and uh, about a 1,000 of them are getting a pension today. It's not a big pension but it's a major league baseball pension from the time they played in the the major league. I'm
0: sure that means an awful lot to those players.
3: It means an awful lot to me that I hope
0: you get it. Uh, One of the things I want to ask you about, there's sort of a battle now of baseball fans between those who like advanced statistics or they call Sabre or Sabermetrics and those who like traditional statistics. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, you were one of the first people to hire someone with the title of Sabermetrician.
3: I did. I hired... uh, Ten years before any other sabermetricians were hired, I hired Craig Wright, and he worked for me, uh, here in, in Texas, and did some good work. And he, he did some statistical work. Uh, then, uh, I got fired here in Texas, and went on to, uh, consulting, baseball consulting. Craig moved on to the Dodgers, and I think he worked for San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He became uh, independently wealthy working for ball clubs doing what these guys are doing today.
0: Wow. Now, Helen mentioned in the introduction that you are the oldest living Yankee. You are 98 years old and the oldest living Major League Baseball player. You sound sharp as a tack. I have to ask, what what is the secret to having such a long life and to staying so sharp?
3: I got a damn good wife. (laughs) That's the secret.
0: How long have you been married, sir?
3: We've been married 64 years.
0: Wow. Now, uh, I wonder, I should point out that when we asked you about appearing on the show, you were willing to do it as long as it didn't interfere with the Cowboys game.
3: That's right. I'm a big Cowboys fan. I'm an SMU fan. I got beat last night. But I, Betty and I follow baseball, and we watch the Rangers play every day, every night. And uh, that's an enjoyment in our life. I, I like to talk baseball with those who know anything about it. That's it. That's what I do.
0: That's what you do, and you do it very, very well. It's an honor to talk with you. Uh, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Walter. We wanted to know who were the six different players that started a World Series game for the Yankees at first base during the 1950s. Helen, what was the first answer that Walter gave? Walter said Moose Scowron.
3: Well, Moose Scowron. of course. Uh, Moose and uh, Joe Collins and I were the first the, we, we The Yankees had three first basemen, in 1954, the year we we won the pennant and we lost the World Series to Brooklyn. We were the three, and the three of us, I think, drove in 150 runs. We hit like 45 home runs. We had, that position helped the Yankees win the pennant Absolutely.
0: Walter, you wanted to say something? I remembered another first verse. All right. Well, we'll get to that a little later. So that's one point for Walter, for Moose Gowron. Helen, what was the second answer that Walter gave? Walter said Joe Collins. And uh, Mr. Robinson?
3: Well, sure, Joe Collins. <laughs> well, sure, Joe he, Collins. That's Joe, Joe played outfield and first base, and uh, Moose, Moose was only a first baseman.
0: Yeah, Joe Collins actually started at first base in six different World Series for the Yankees. Uh, all right, Helen, and finally, what was the last name that Walter gave as an answer?
1: Walter said Bobby Shands.
0: <laughs> Is that correct? Was he a pitcher? Was he a first baseman, Mr. Robinson?
3: Bobby Chance was a pitcher. That right? was a
0: pitcher. I'm sorry, no point there.
3: <laughs> he he, he was in. not there when when I was there, but he was a really good pitcher.
0: Yep. Uh, just not that it really matters. But the other answers were Johnny Mize That's is the Hall I of was... Famer. That's he was trying to do.
3: Johnny Mize was a great hitter. Yes. I so mean, he was. Uh, he, he, I I respected him as much as anybody when he yeah. had a bat. Didn't he come
4: from the Cardinals?
3: Yes, he did. Yeah.
0: So just to give all of the answers of the people who started at first base in the World Series, it was Johnny Mize, Joe Collins, as we mentioned, Mouskowin, as we mentioned, Harry Simpson, Elston Howard did start a game in the 1950s, and someone named Mr. Eddie Robinson. Yay! Uh,
3: thank you very much, nice visiting
0: uh, Walter, before we let Mr. Robinson go, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him?
4: No, I just think that it's just terrific that you've had such an extraordinary life and that you've had, you've, you've had such a terrific career. And that you got the chance to play with all those folks that I grew up, you know, really hero-worshipping.
3: Read my book, Lucky Me. Okay,
4: (laughs) you got it.
0: Once again, Mr. Robinson's book is called Lucky Me, My 65 Years in Baseball. It's available now on Amazon or wherever you get books. What an honor, and I really appreciate you doing this. It's such a pleasure. Mr. Eddie Robinson. Thank you. Uh, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round?
1: It is a tie. (laughs) Yes, Danielle Koenig has seven points and Walter Koenig also has seven points.
0: All right, it is now time for our final round. Recall fast facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Danielle and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Danielle, 2018 is an even number. (laughs) True, that is correct. Walter, 2018 was last year. Yes, true. That is correct. It gets harder. Danielle, in 2018, the average cost of a new car was about $35,000. True. Correct. 35285 to be exact. Walter, in 2018, the average cost of a gallon of gas was about $2.75. Okay, uh, true. That is correct. Oh, my God, yes. 272 but not in California, obviously. Danielle, in 2018, the average cost of a movie ticket was about $9.
1: True. Correct.
0: $9.11. Walter, according to Match.com, in 2018, the average cost of a date was about $60.
4: Well, dinner, movie, hmm? false.
0: Correct. There we go. Danielle, in 2018, the average cost of a date was about $40.
4: True. Incorrect.
0: Walter, in 2018, the average cost of a date was about $100. Whoa,
4: we're really going over the top there. I would say that's false. Incorrect.
0: No, according to Match.com, $102.32 was the average cost of a date, not what I'm buying. Danielle, in 2018, the average cost of a wedding was between thirty dollars and $35,000. True. Correct. Walter, in 2018, the average cost of a divorce was also between thirty dollars
4: and $35,000. Uh, uh, true. Correct.
0: Danielle, I, J.K. Van Stratton, was at your wedding. True. Walter, you, Walter Koenig, were at my divorce. <laughs> False. That's right. I have not been divorced or married. Why don't I have $60,000 more than I already do? Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Walter Koenig and Danielle Koenig, as Helen tabulates the final score. We're not going to count those last two. Helen, what is our score at the end of the final round? It
1: is, again, a tie! Oh, my goodness! You are so evenly matched. At the end of the game, Danielle Koenig has 11 points, and Walter Koenig also has 11 points! That means we're
0: going to have to go to our tiebreaker. This will determine the winner... Here is your tie-breaking question. Now, the answer is a number. Whoever gets closer to the correct answer wins. We do not play Prices Right style, so no guessing $1. I'm going to ask the question. I'll give you a few moments to think about it. Don't answer right away. Then I'm going to count to three and have you blurt out your answer. Whoever is closer will win. So again, don't answer right away. So you right can go away. over. You can go over okay. as long as you're closest to it. Okay. okay, here we go. According to the official State of Hawaii statistics, how many total islands are in the state? This includes all islands islets, and atolls. Okay, think about it for a moment. We want to know the total number of all the islands of Hawaii. I'm going to count to three, then say your answer. One, two, three. Fifty.
2: Thirty-five.
0: It was fifty and... Thirty-five. Thirty-five. The correct answer is one hundred thirty-seven. That means Walter Kana, congratulations! You were the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Walter, what will you do with your championship? <laughs> What? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right. Uh, That just leaves us to give everyone on the panel a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, services, or website. Danielle, where can people hear about you and your work?
2: Well... Um, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but uh, I am writing on the Writers Guild Awards again this year, and it's on February 1st, if you want to, you know, crash it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Since it
2: won't be aired.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And, and on uh, Twitter, you're, you're active there? Oh,
2: yeah. I think it's Danielle B. Koenig on Twitter.
0: I think yeah. so as well. Yes, it's wonderful yes. to share the stage with you again, my friend. Danielle Thank you, Koenig. Thank you too. Walter, you've got a book and some other stuff. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah, well, it's either going to be called Warp Factors, which is what, what the first book was called, and I've been I've been uh, legislating for beaming up and getting off, but I'm not sure that many, anybody's going to go for that. Oh my God! Please, please. Uh, but yeah, it's the first book uh, finished in 1979, and then this is from 19. This is the first book again, plus 79 to 2019. So Excellent. About, yeah, and it's about what, what's happened in my life. I even talk about my family somewhat. My my gorgeous, beautiful daughter, my extraordinary witty uh, and bright son-in-law, and uh, the amazing Oliver Pardo, and uh, my my grandson, and of course, my beautiful wife, Judy Levitt.
0: Excellent, we'll look for that. We thank you so much for joining us. Walter Koenig, get his book wherever you get books. Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is for you, Ms. Helen Hong. What do you have going on, H.H.?
1: You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and follow me on the socials at FunnyHelenHong. She
0: is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is Helen Hong. (laughs) Helen Hong. Helen Hong. That's not right. She is Helen Hong. There she is. Uh, And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Danielle Koenig, Walter Koenig, Kirk Thatcher, uh, Mr. Eddie Robinson. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and add to our wiki at gofactorwiki.fandom.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like King Richard the Third did. He, she, or they said, so fun. I wish I was some level of famous so I could compete. Thanks, King Richard the <laughs> Third. Helen?
1: Go Factor Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Straten and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Factor Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is Produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Facts Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Ben Lindberg of the Effectively Wild podcast. C. Paul Rogers III, Diane Firstman, Craig Shemin, Grant Pachoco, Nicole Goldman, Jimmy Pardo, Elliot Hochberg, Ryan Long, David Matty, Mike Avellanos, Leora Saul Adam Neediff Dave Bianchi Eric Tran and Christine Vallada I've been Helen Hong Let's go watch Star Trek for the first time (laughs) or the 2000th time
0: Hi again, Helen Hong.
1: Hi again, J. Keith.
0: As we mentioned, we recorded this episode last year. We did mention in this episode that baseball great Eddie Robinson is 98 years old and the oldest living Yankee. I am pleased to report an update. He is now 99 years old and the oldest living former Major League Baseball player from any team. Wow. Eddie Robinson. What a great expert he was.
1: And another reminder to check out our live video stream recording on Tuesday, May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time with guests Ophira Eisenberg and Jonathan Colton. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for the link to watch. Click through to KPCC's page and RSVP. You will get a reminder 30 minutes before showtime.
0: That's it. That's our show for this week. That's our show for next week. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care. Wash your hands. And Helen. Stay
1: safe out there. Stay sane.
0: And stay stay smart. smart. That might be our new catchphrase. Or a hashtag. It's not up to us. (laughs) Bye, everybody.
5: Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture.
2: Artist owned.
0: Audience supported.